We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It was in some ways the blue wave that many Democrats hoped for in Illinois and across the country and that many Republicans feared. But it was not a political disaster for the GOP, except in a few places. The midterm elections this week brought change from the top to the the trenches. This week we'll analyze the landscape, the challenges, and the future with our own political experts. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. It's a reporter's roundtable this weekend, looking back at the political week that was and ahead to the battles and the pitfalls and maybe the triumph, pit, pit falls, I should say, and maybe the triumphs to come. Joining me are Heather Sharon, managing editor of The Daily Line, the online source for reporting on politics and policy, and Andy Shaw, former president of the Better Government Association and WBBM's political analyst. Heather and Andy, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Uh- Seems like we were just here. It it does. And we'll be back in February. Uh, But uh, let's talk about these elections. Uh, First, going into the election, uh, the midterm was billed as a referendum on President Trump. And it seems the president wouldn't have had it any other way. He was praising Republicans who embraced him throughout the campaign and ridiculing GOP candidates who distanced themselves from him and lost So what message did voters send last Tuesday? Heather, let's start with you. Well, you know, I was looking at some of the uh, sort of final figures uh, early this morning, and the share of the Republican vote almost precisely tracked President Trump's latest approval ratings, which are sort of hovering somewhere around 45 percent. So that works in states like Missouri, uh, and it worked in Texas this time around, but it did not work in states like Illinois, where basically all of the Republicans got wiped out, not only at the statewide level, but also at the county level. And I think the lesson from Tuesday night was pretty clear. In those suburban areas where a lot of independents and Democrats voted for Trump two years ago because they didn't like Hillary or they thought change was a good idea, A lot of those people went the opposite way on Tuesday night. And I'll tell you why. It's interesting. Trump is his own worst enemy. His bombast and his rhetoric and his vitriol turned off a lot of people who voted for him two years ago, even though he had so much to brag about. The economy is arguably in good shape. The stock market has been relatively strong. We've tamped down the conflict with North Korea. Regulatory climate is a little bit more favorable to business. And as a result, the country's in pretty good shape. But here in Illinois, two-thirds of the voters told exit poll analysts that they think the country's going in the wrong direction. And I personally think it was the the, the temperament and the attitude that turned them off in the well-educated suburban areas, in the rural areas and the small towns that make up so much of the rest of America outside Chicago, Uh, Trump mania continues. People are fond of his aggressive stance. 
They're afraid of the immigration issue and a lot of other issues, and they think this guy is fighting for them. And those were the states where Republicans held on to Senate seats and and held on to governorships or won governorships. But in these areas like the Cook, DuPage, the Collars, and Chicago, the anti-Trump sentiment was so strong that we see what happened on Tuesday night. It was a blue tsunami. Yeah, I... I think the, we really saw a, a divide, uh, and like you said, it was rural versus uh, more cosmopolitan. For example, uh, Adam Kinzinger, uh, who is only a little ways out of the Chicago area, uh, he easily won re-election in his district, but uh, it was touch and go for Randy Davis, uh, uh, the Republican in the Champaign-Urbana area, the congressman there, but he ended up pulling it out. And uh, in southern Illinois, uh, Republican uh, Mike Bost came uh, came out with. And guys, if if Trump had simply followed the old uh, James Carville trope, it's the economy, stupid, and reminded people about the things that were so much better instead of this ongoing battle with the media and Democrats and wayward Republicans and the rhetoric, the language, the attitude that is so off putting both. Here, here in the United States and to so many of our allies, again, as I say, he's his own worst enemy. And I think the takeaway from Tuesday night for me was that if things don't change with the way he approaches this and there are any glitches in the economy or the stock market, um, he is a one-term president because he's lost a lot of the people who gave him a shot more because of attitude than policy. Uh, also, what about this this uh, post-game uh, performance of the president where he started calling out the people who did not embrace him, and he used the word embrace, and it was people like uh, like um, Peter, Peter Roskam, Roskam yeah. was one of the people he named, and said, they didn't embrace me, they lost. And, uh, uh, you know, the uh, um, if they didn't show me love, well, they're, you know, they're done. Uh, that that kind of uh, one commentator called it dancing on the graves of Republicans who lost. What, how do you think that's going to play among Republicans? Well, I think it's a purposeful misreading of of what happened, because had somebody like Peter Roskam embraced Trump, he would have done even worse just based on the data that we have available. Um, so it's it's, you know. Uh, I imagine very frustrating for people like Peter Roskam um, and other sort of moderate Republicans who lost their seat in this sort of blue wave. And it wasn't just Illinois. Um, there are basically no more Republican congressmen in New York or New Jersey. Um, Florida also lost several Republican congressmen seat along with state state legislator races. So and that's Trump misread that badly. I mentioned the country's direction, right or wrong direction. The other Illinois statistic that was telling from the exit polls, 62 percent of Illinois people polled by the exit pollsters uh, have an unfavorable view of President Trump. Only 38 percent have a favorable view. When it's almost two to one, feeling bad about the president, that bodes poorly for people in his party when they're running for re-election, and they paid the price at all those levels in Illinois. Well, now I want to turn things to the other uh, boogeyman from the election. I mean, if Trump was the uh, boogeyman that the Democrats tried to link Republican candidates to, 
Uh, Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan uh, was the man portrayed as the dark lord by Republicans uh, running ads against the Democrats. Uh, How did that work out for them? Not so well, I think. Uh, The Illinois Democratic Party, which Madigan shares, uh, ran an unusual letter on Wednesday. I found this fascinating. uh, One of the statements in it, and it was four pages long, We've never seen that from them. Uh, Of the dozens of Illinois Republicans that ran on a platform tying their opponents to Speaker Madigan, nearly every one lost. This was the Democratic Party basically saying, in your face... Republican. Madigan arguably had his best election ever after having been vilified more aggressively than ever for two years. And I have a theory about that 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 compares with the Trump phenomena. Madigan was just a name and he polls poorly when you ask, well, do you like him or dislike him? Most Illinois residents don't like him because he has been trashed so thoroughly. But he's never engaged in that fight with Rauner or others. In other words, he's been an invisible bogeyman. Trump, of course, is the most visible politician in the world. Madigan wisely let him let them trash him by name, but never got into a bare knuckles battle with Rauner or others. And as a result, when you looked at the ballot on Election Day or in early voting, you never Mike Madigan didn't come up in your mind. He wasn't a visible figure. You had people you were looking at with different names and different histories. And and there was never a way you could actually say, whoops, he's close to me. I mean, Madigan didn't exist beyond having a name on a polling sheet or in political ads. You saw his face, but he never got into the mud with Rauner or others. And I think that that discipline, that restraint did him a lot of good and it did all of his candidates so much good. Add to that the $20 million he pumped into races. They, they fought these races, I think, more aggressively than almost any other time. And uh, they paid off. They just had an amazing day. Well, I think there are a couple of things happening. Uh, Rauner, you know, sort of focused all of his fire on Pritzker, not on Pritzker, but on Madigan, which allowed sort of Pritzker to sort of skate around, you know, all all of that. Um, Also, Pritzker, you know, self-funded his campaign to the tune of more than $170 million, which freed up all of Madigan's millions to be spent on those state legislature races, which I am sure played no small part in reestablishing that Democratic supermajority in the Illinois House, which is going to be crucial for Pritzker if he moves to make good on his progressive promises. And for me, one of the most interesting stories I'm looking forward to covering is that relationship between Speaker Madigan, who basically said yesterday, I'm not going anywhere, um, and the new governor. How are they going to negotiate that sort of, you know, balance of power? I don't know the answer to that. And of course, you're absolutely right. With the supermajority in the House reestablished and two more seats in the Senate, probably giving them an even stronger supermajority, they don't have to do anything they don't want to do. Mr. Madigan, Mr. Cullerton can say no thank you, governor, to virtually everything. But here's the other piece that's brand new in Illinois politics. The governor is arguably the richest elected official in the United States right now, and he doesn't need any help from Madigan or the unions to fund his campaign going forward. And he can also fund a lot of other Democrats the next time around. And so there's a counterbalance, and it's, and it's all dollar signs. Madigan and Cullerton are going to have to play ball with J.B. very, very carefully because if he chose to go negative, which is unlikely, he could fund opponents in primaries. He could primary their people if they don't accede to some of his wishes. It's not his temperament, 
He's not round or he's not likely to do that. But having that much independent wealth, which he can spend at his own discretion any way he wants, given the loose campaign finance rules, he is going to have money is going to give him that influence. And I think that Madigan and Cullerton are going to work better with him than they have with any other governor over at Madigan and, and Cullerton's tenure. You know, Madigan fights just as aggressively against Democratic governors like Pat Quinn. I was going to say, Pat yeah. Quinn still has so the scars. He probably yeah. got along better with Jim Edgar than he did with uh, he Quinn did. or Belovich. Yeah. And inter- interestingly enough, Jim Edgar pops back up on JB's transition team, which is probably a good thing because he can probably help JB uh, deal with Madigan and Cullerton. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that, you know, as both of you are pointing out, that we're going to have to watch as the jockeying goes on. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how they find that balance because, like you say, they, they have their own strengths, but there are things that uh, J.B. Pritzker says he wants. For example, independent maps. The... Uh, redistricting that is governed more by by trying to by have common business. sense by and common sanity sense. you mean as, <laughs> yeah, opposed as opposed to political to, greed yeah, yeah right political greed and preserving incumbents he says he wants that mike madigan has fought vehemently against that and now here's the my my, my watchword has always been that the speaker of the house cannot necessarily pass anything he wants but he can stop anything he doesn't want. Who wins that fight? Well, that's only one fight, Craig. There are going to be so many issues that are going to come up that are going to require a lot of collaboration among these Democrats. This progressive income tax is a Mm -hmm. political third rail for candidates because when you raise taxes, you put your longevity at risk. There's other things JB's talking about doing, legalizing marijuana, expanding gaming. Now, it may be that the climate's right for all of that now, but those are generally issues that don't play well in every single district. And so he's going to have to sit down and they're going to have to negotiate all of this. I think you're absolutely right. Look, from my standpoint, having run the BGA for nine and a half years, uh, ending gerrymandering was one of our top issues the whole time. It still is. It's the single most toxic aspect of our political system uh, next to excessive dollars. And so we need fair maps if we're ever going to have fair elections and a level playing field. I agree with you. Madigan and Cullerton have not supported that, especially Madigan. And I can't predict how that plays out. Maybe Heather knows, but that's going to be one of those toughies. Is that is that the one that's going to have to wait a while? You know, it may. I think there's going to be a lot of push for um, income tax changes, whether that's a change in the current Flat rate, J.B. Pritzker seemed to move off of that a little bit yesterday because before he had said he would explore raising that flat tax while the progressive income tax sort of works its way through the system, which, of course, needs to be approved by a referendum of voters. Um, But what's interesting, I think, is that if I were Michael Madigan or J.B. Pritzker's top aides, I would be looking very carefully at the composition of the electorate on Tuesday, which was significantly different than we've seen in elections past, especially midterms. We saw far more young voters, and those voters, I think, are prime to be sort of talk to about fair maps, about a progressive income tax, about legalization of marijuana. So it may be that sort of the playing field has changed in ways that we don't really understand. And I don't want people's point. eyes to glaze over, but something we haven't talked about that should have given Rauner a lot more ammunition in the campaign had he used it appropriately. By one analysis, J.B.'s programmatic 
interests, his initiatives, would cost something like $18 billion if he did them all. You know, he, the, he wants universal preschool. He wants to bring down the cost of health care. And he's got a lot of things he'd like to do that are expensive. He's talking about being excessively fair with the public employee union, something rounder wasn't. That means perhaps better, more expensive contracts. Put it all together, it's a price tag that wouldn't be affordable uh, in the richest state in the country, and we are one of the poorest in terms of our, our inequitable balance of bills and, and budgets and things. And so I think the real question is, how do you do the progressive things he wants to do with a limited amount of money? Legalizing pot and even gaming might bring in a couple billion dollars, but if the price tag of his programs is $18 billion, where do the other 16 come from? Even as rich as he is, he, he, couldn't, even fo- he couldn't even fund that personally. Well, and the governor tried to make those points in the uh, debates at the end of the uh, campaign, but uh, too clearly, little, too late. Exactly. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're looking at the midterm elections and what's down the road as a result with political analyst Andy Shaw of the Better Government Association and Heather Sharon, managing editor of the Daily Line. I want to stay with Madigan for just a little bit longer because one thing I've noted is that when Speaker Madigan is trying to get a vote on a controversial issue, something that could be very contentious down the road, he likes to have Republican votes on it, even though he has a supermajority. I have not seen him exercise that supermajority often because he wants, he doesn't want to be the only one. He doesn't want the Democrats to have all the blame if they raise taxes or something like that. And how is that going to play out? Well, it's interesting because the Republican Party is in a huge state of flux right now. Rauner is no longer the head of the Republican Party. Who is the next head of the Republican Party? Um, There's some talk that Todd Ricketts, who is flying around the state um, with Eric Harold, is going to toss his hat into the ring for the next sort of gubernatorial race. But I think the Republicans and correct me if I'm wrong here, Andy, have to decide what kind of party are they? Are they the party of Dan Proft and, uh, you know... And GDIs. Exactly. Or are they a moderate party sort of looking to compromise on issues like that? I don't know the answer to that question. I think that's a wonderful question. I think if Rauner had not uh, polluted the political pool so thoroughly during his first three years so that his popularity was, was down in the toilet... I think he could have exploited some of the weaknesses in the Democratic agenda. And I think Jeannie Ives is likely to be a candidate going forward. She gave Rauner a run for his money in the primary. I think, oddly enough, as big as J.B.'s victory was, the people who voted for him very often would have opposed a lot of the things he stands for had they looked carefully at the programs themselves. You know, people feel like taxes are already high enough. They feel like government is too big. They feel like efficiency is wrong and that there's too much corruption. All those things that should have played to Rauner's advantage, they did the first time around. They were out the window because he had so poorly run his first three years. One cautionary tale. The day Bruce Rauner was elected governor of Illinois in 2014, another gentleman named Charlie Baker won the governorship in Massachusetts. They're very similar. Tall, slim, sandy-haired Republicans. Four years later, Charlie Baker is and was the most popular governor in America. 70% approval rating. Cruised to re-election very easily. Rauner was trounced. What was the difference? What Charlie Baker did was work collaboratively with the blue state Democrats in Massachusetts, 
quietly, efficiently, courteously, professionally, and they got some things done, and the people of Massachusetts felt it was government being run well. We had scorched earth for three years, uh, a budget stalemate, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and negative publicity, and I think that that's a cautionary tale. Uh, you, JB will try to cross the aisle and work with Republicans. They're not going to jam a bunch of things down people's throats. They've got to be very careful because if they're not efficient and they're not if they're not concerned about tax dollars, uh, this isn't going to. This is, JB will be a one-termer. He'll be vulnerable if it looks like it's just more big corrupt government. Well. JB certainly has to demonstrate a level of competence in Illinois state government that we have not seen uh, in several years. So that's going to be sort of, you know, sort of the ground level hurdle that he's going to have to overcome. You know, in, in, in a sense, his job is going to be a little bit more difficult because there is no unified opposition party. He will have nobody to sort of play off against. You know, his biggest sort of, you know, negotiating foil is going to be Mike Madigan. And that, you know, is difficult because they and, both have D's after their And the their problems name. are still monstrous. We have this $130 billion unfunded pension liability. We still have 6 or $7 billion in unpaid bills. The budgets have not been balanced uh, as long as I've been covering this stuff, going back 40 years. And there's just all kinds... You know, we, we still have way too much bloat, too many units of government, too little efficiency. And those things are going to be very, very difficult problems that Madigan, Cullerton and the Democratic governors who preceded Rauner did not handle very well. I'm not going to say that George Ryan and Jim Edgar handled them very well either because they didn't. But collaboratively, the last 30 years of governing, governing Illinois have been failed leadership in many ways, putting us near the bottom of the pile in terms of both government functionality and business climate. And it's J.B.'s. Look, J.B. has a pretty good resume. He's done a great job of restoring the tech sector to Illinois. He basically restarted it single handedly with 1871. We're now a tech hub. He's been a great philanthropist. He's a generous guy. He's a nice guy. He's very competent, very smart, a lawyer. But he's got enormous challenges that should be solved but with Republicans and Democrats. And back to something Heather said, there really isn't a Republican Party in Illinois right now. And the real question is, is Todd Ricketts going to be the Tim Schneider, the Republican Party chairman, lost his county board seat to a newcomer Democrat. He's basically toast. So the Republican Party needs to put its they need a they need some kind of a they need a retreat somewhere to figure out what their future is, because that it's about as bleak as any state in the country for Republicans other than New York and New Jersey and California. What needs to be J.B. Pritzker's first move? Well, his first move came with the with the transition team that he but, appointed. But I mean, uh, first legislative move. What 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 should he attack first? He I, says he says a balanced budget, because that was Rauner's. That was probably arguably the biggest part of Rauner's undoing was the failure to to reach a budget accord. They need a balanced budget. That's going to cause some pain. There's going to have to be some spending cuts because we over, we've overspent by a billion or two every year. Uh, that's pretty wonky. Maybe there's more exciting things that Heather can think of, well, but that's I th- what he I says think, is his first priority. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to have to demonstrate to the progressive win of the Illinois Democratic Party that he will push their priorities. And as part of that budget balanced budget agreement, there has to be things in there that will single, signal to you know the Daniel Bisses of the world, the Amaya Pawars of the world, that he plans to govern not from a center position, but a center-left position. And that is made more difficult by the fact that the coffers are empty. There's not a lot of extra money to sort of fund, you know, sort of 
feel good programs. You know, yesterday, Mayor Emanuel, who will overlap with J.B. Pritzker for give or take about four months, you know, sort of laid out a very aggressive to do list for the new governor. He wants help on pensions. He wants a capital bill. Uh, He wants, you know, an expanded universal pre-K system. None of those are easy or less not expensive. And you know what? Maybe that does become his top priority. Maybe the fact that Rahm is desperate for money for CTA and roads in Chicago, and so is every other politician in Illinois. We haven't had a significant infrastructure bill for more than a decade those can that can be funded with with bonds so it's not a huge tax hit right away and it's also very popular gives people a lot of ribbon cutting opportunities as these projects reach the finish line and so to satisfy a lot of mayors and legislators um, maybe a capital bill becomes the first thing that's easy to sell to both parties because if you get a road in your district and you're a Republican, the ribbon you cut also helps you. And, and it so, demonstrates and that, competence. Yeah, and, and that's that's a, maybe that's an easy one because the balanced budget may be more complicated, but I, maybe the capital bill comes first. We've only got a couple or a few more minutes left, uh, but I want to touch on a couple of quick hits. One, what should we make of what happened in Cook County? Uh the, there was an attempt to get get rid of all of the Republicans on the. Uh, well, I'm not sure whether it was all of the Republicans because yeah. uh, because uh, a couple two, survived. Two, yeah. Two, yeah, two survived. Uh, Sean Morrison and Peter Silvestri. I'm not sure anybody actually went after Peter Silvestri. He Peter Silvestri along, plays well a, with everyone. Yeah, he 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 does. But I, I thought I, it was telling that. In the days leading up to the election, Silvestri put out a whole bunch of Democratic endorsements from Mike Quigley on down saying, hey, I play nice with the other side of the aisle. He does. So he was the one that they were willing to live with. They, they will also have to live with Sean Morrison. But is that a major is that a major change on a board that's been pretty much giving uh, the current president who wants to be mayor what uh, what she wants? That was, she real, asks? that was an odd one, because as Tim Schneider and Greg Goslin said, we thought we got along well with President Preckwinkle. We never expected this. They don't have much clout on their board anyway. And so maybe that was just Preckwinkle flexing her muscles. She threw one hundred thousand dollars into those races to basically show that she could do what she ended up doing. And I mean, if you're going to look at somebody with political skills, maybe that bodes well for her as she starts the mayor's race because she doesn't just look like this wonky former school teacher who runs the Cook County Board, but she is a formidable political person too. And she showed she can turn over some seats that that would make it look like she'd more be more effective in city council races. So maybe that was looking ahead politically and showing that she is tough too, not just Madigan. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have you guys back for talking about the uh, mayor's race once that once once we get a little bit once we get past the filings. But uh, I want to bring up one other thing in DuPage County. Uh, I thought the the vote there was very surprising. DuPage County is a Republican stronghold, or it, or it always, once or, was. Or it was once was. Um, the, and here's the blue wave that uh, that happened there. Uh, Democrats captured seven of the 12 available county board seats, including one in each of the at least one in each of the six districts. Also, the county clerk is uh, is now a Democrat. They haven't had a countywide seat in like forever. Uh, what is going on in DuPage County? If Dan Cronin, the, if Dan Cronin, the DuPage County board president, hadn't been been so good at playing ball with Democrats over the years, they probably would have tried to take him out, and maybe they could have if they'd found a good candidate. You know, let Heather take yeah. this one. This is just the changing demographics, yes. and again, I go back to 
the anti-Trump sentiment among a lot of those women and well-educated men who went for Trump two years ago but were so offended by maybe maybe the Kavanaugh hearings, maybe Trump in general, that they just they just took it out on the Republican candidates, even though they didn't even the ones who didn't kiss Trump like Peter Roscom. Heather, you're gonna have the quick last word. Well, I was gonna say that I think it's important to mention Lauren Underwood, who scored an upset victory, becoming the first female, the first African-American congressman uh, from, you know, sort of a very, what was once a very conservative district. Denny Hastert's Denny district. Hastert's The House seat. Speaker. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is sort of the symbol of, you know, she will serve as the symbol of this, the change in the Chicago suburbs. And is that an attitude change or just a demographic change? I think it's think? both. I think Andy is right in that Trump is toxic for everybody other than white, rural, very conservative voters. Um, And I think that Lauren Underwood did a really great job of focusing on health care. She's a nurse. And that, um, you know, Obamacare repeal effort just proved toxic. Can we take another 15 minutes no, for no, the mayor's yeah. race, Greg? Oh, I, I, I wish. <laughs> they will be back. I promise you. That's Heather Sharon of the Daily Line and analyst Andy Shaw from the BGA. Thank you for spending this half hour Thank with you. us. It went like the wind. Always a pleasure. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I think it's going to be Jeannie Ives. Uh, that's that's the plan right now, uh, and I hope you will be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.